All right, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. They jealously affect you, but not for well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is a good but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. We're gonna look at that for just a moment. It starts out with they jealously affect you. Zealously. You know, being zealous. Have you ever thought about being zealous? It means to be er, er, earnestly desiring something, really excited. Paul, before he became saved, was very zealous <laughs> to go get Christians arrested and sent to their death. That wasn't a good thing to be zealous, but he was zealous. And he's saying they. Now, the they he's referring to, if you recall, as we've gone through here, are the Judaizers. They're the ones that are telling them that grace is not enough. You need to follow a bunch of rules. You've got to follow a bunch of rules to get to be with God. And we want to be careful of that because so many people, even today, are very zealous about getting you to follow rules. In the Christian church, you'll find a lot of that. And we know that we are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. And then after we get saved, we kind of start getting taught that somehow we've got to follow a bunch of rules. You've got to do this, this, and this to be a Christian. And I've heard it. I've been there. I've seen it. You all have probably been in churches where it's kind of that way. And they can be unofficial rules or official rules. And you know when you get that unofficial rule and you break it because all of a sudden people look at you like, how could you do that? <laughs> you know, how could you have watched that movie? Or how could you have done that? How could you have gone to, the, gone to dinner and had a glass of wine with your dinner? <laughs> you know, all the different things that you'll see people have these rules that they want to apply to your life. You know, it doesn't mean that you necessarily apply them to their life, but they want to make sure you follow all the rules. And this is what Paul's saying. They are zealously trying to get you to follow these rules. And it says, they are zealously, read it exactly here. They are zealously affect you. And this effect literally means that they were trying to make you zealous <laughs> of what they wanted to believe. And this is critical because we see it all the time. And when somebody is zealous about something, it's not hard to want to get people to join you. You're excited about it. You want to do it. You think it's important. You know, if you are with somebody who is a ardent, zealous fan of a football team or a, or a baseball team, they're talking to you about it all the time. They want you to get to watch their games and, and be with them you know, and, and share, the, share this excitement with them. And Paul is saying, these Judaizers are trying to get you excited about the law. Excited about the law. Get into the law, follow the law, because they're going to teach you that the law has everything. You've got to follow the law to be, be, be acceptable to God. And God says, no, that's not what I want. I saved you by grace. And Paul's been going over this. Remember, we've talked about it. The law isn't bad because it's based in God. It is who God is. And we've talked about as we get to know God more and more and he fills our life, we will be more and more following the law 
but not because I'm trying to please God, not because I'm trying to strive to be more right or more perfect, but because God is living out through me. And that's a difference between that type of life and being zealous about the law and saying, I gotta follow all these laws, here's my list, and you gotta follow these laws too. And that's what Paul's saying, he goes, how did you get so far away from this? How did you go back to this? How did you go back into the, into the, in a worldly way of thinking, going to serve the gods, going to make offerings to the gods, all the things that he's been talking about up to this point? And he goes, and they're being zealous. They're being real zealous. They want you to do these things. And we as Christians have to be careful that we're not so zealous about God and what God has told us to do or not do that we try to get others to follow our way of doing it. Because in the world, we are looking all the time for, give me the how-tos. <laughs> give me a how-to book. Now, if you go to, go to a bookstore, the, the self-help section is huge. You know, how to have a good marriage, how to, have, how to train your dog, how to learn something in seven easy steps. <laughs> yeah. And there's Christian self-help books as well out there. There's people who have come to God, and, and I don't doubt that they've come to God in a very good way and that God has really touched them. And then they write their book, How to Come to God in the Seven Steps that He Showed Me. They leave out that, that He Showed Me part, but How to Come to God in Seven Easy Steps or Ten Easy Steps or Twenty Easy Steps. And they give you their experience. And I'm not saying their experience was bad, but it was their experience. Every single person, God has got an individual plan for us. People will not get to know God the same way I got to know God. They're not going to get, you're not going to come to go know God the way that John knew God or Judy or anybody else in this room. It was an individual plan that it took to get that person to where God wants, it, wants them to be. And it'll be the same for you. It'll be an individual plan that will get you where God wants you to be. And it's a wonderful thing when you realize that because of the diversity of the body of Christ. Now, there are people that you're going to look at and say, well, I don't like the way, they, the way God's bringing them. Well, that's too bad. God likes it. You know, the way they're doing it is the way God is teaching them. And it is for them. Now, are there some wrong ways? Probably, I guess if you're going to live in sin, then that's a wrong way to come to God. But if you're not living in sin and you're growing in Christ, you're growing the way that God wants you to grow. And that's the problem that we have out there. It's too many people are saying, this is the way to come to God. It, it worked for me, so it's got to work for you. Well, it probably won't work for other people. I fell in love with God and got right into the Word of God. Most people don't do that. Other people have been having great, great time with God. I've always wondered as I've gone by, you know, you know, why do some people take so long to learn things with God and change their life? I'm one of those, I'm real slow, because I know I'm stubborn. I'm, I'm stubborn and hard-headed, so it took God a long time to pound things into my head. And then you watch people who get saved, and all, like overnight, they change completely. And you're going, God, why? It's for whatever reason God wants. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's going to take that. And he is going to be the one that helps them through. And it says, they are zealously effect, or get, trying to get you to be zealous, but not for well. They're trying to get them into following the law, following steps. Following the steps of getting someplace. And then he goes on, but, uh, yay, 
they would exclude you that they might be, that you might be zealous of them. They're excluding them from God so that their focus will be on them. We want to be so careful that we don't try to put the focus on us when we're discipling somebody, when we're trying to teach somebody, because I'm not a great example of being a Christian, and most people aren't a great example of being a Christian, so we don't want them looking at us. Now, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, and I want to say the same thing. As I follow Christ, follow me. But don't follow me so strongly that if I fall, you fall, because we're all going to fall. All of us will fall. It's a guaranteed thing that we will fall and, and walk in the flesh. And we want to be so careful because our focus must be on Jesus. When, we, when we're helping somebody, we want to focus them to Jesus because he is the answer. I've shared this many times. My dad kind of irritated me as a teenager because I'd ask him questions and he'd always say, let's go see what the Bible has to say about it. Now, how was a teenager when you really wanted to argue with mom and dad about something? <laughs> and what they do is they take you to the Bible. <laughs> Especially when you're a Christian teenager and saying, I want to follow the Bible. And they go, okay, let's see what the Bible says. But it was also a very good thing my dad was doing. He wasn't going to say, this is what I think, but this is what God says. And our goal always needs to be to focus people on Jesus. He's got the answers. He's got the way to change. He knows how to make that individual change. And we want to be able to do that. And that's why I encourage people, we need to get into the Word of God. We need to be reading our Bibles every, every, every day. And then the next step will be to go from just reading your Bible every day to studying your Bible every day. Because there's a big difference between the reading and the studying. And even I find that sometimes when I'm doing the reading, I'm reading through and it's just, I got to get through from this section to this section because it's my reading today. And sometimes, I'll be truthful, sometimes I read it like a newspaper and say, okay, um, okay, my, my, my chapters are done. <laughs> That's not, that doesn't lead to a good day. <laughs> other days, I have a hard time. I'm reading it, and all of a sudden, I'm going, wow, this reminds me of some other place, and I'm flipping to another part of the Bible, and, and then my three chapters that I read uh, will take me uh, close to an hour. <laughs> uh, but studying the scriptures is the next step. Titus, it says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. We need to study so that we will be workmen for God that aren't ashamed. Because this is the way of life. This is truth. This is the word of God. In verse 18, it says, But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, but not only when I am present with you, so Paul is saying, it is good to be zealous. And my prayer is that everybody in this church gets zealous for God. If we had a whole church full of people who are zealous for God, man, what work we would have. They, they just couldn't wait to talk, about, talk to God and, and about God to others and live for God. And Paul's going, it is good to be zealous. Now, he just said they're being zealous toward you, and it made it sound like it's not good to be zealous, but he said it is good to be zealous as long as it's about good things. It's good to be zealous. Now, and he wants us to be, he wants that excitement. I've been in churches where you look around, and if somebody was to smile, you're sure they'd break their face because they haven't smiled in so long. And you're going, where's your joy? Where's the joy of God? Where is that peace that passes understanding, the joy 
I've even been in churches where if you smile, they all look at you like, you're, what's wrong with you? You're not spiritual, you're smiling. You know, no, we want to we have joy for God. We want to have joy with him. Because he is not a bunch of rules. And usually those who won't smile around God are worried because of all the rules they've been told they have to follow. And they're struggling to live according to the rules. They're not living according to the grace of God. And then God is not in them and changing them. And they're worried that all of a sudden people aren't going to accept them, or worse yet, God's not going to accept them because they're joyful. God loves joyfulness. If you don't believe me, read the Psalms. You'll find all about being joyful. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all, all the earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a loud noise. Make a with clashing cymbals. You know, it's amazing when, when churches bring, bring instruments into the church and all of a sudden there's drums and cymbals and tambourines and trumpets and, and you'll get these people looking at, how can you have all those things in the church? Well, God says to bring them in. Bring them in. When they, when they created the, the temple, they made a lot of the Levites musicians and they played full orchestras when you read the instruments. God enjoys praise. We're, we're, in, we're created in his image. If he can enjoy things, we should be able to enjoy things. And he expects us to be joyful. Be zealous. Be excited about God. It's amazing to me how many people will not show an ounce of excitement for God, yet you get them on a, on a sports field, <laughs> you know, and they'll yell themselves hoarse <laughs> because they're excited. Even in front of a TV, they'll yell themselves hoarse when there's nothing, to, nobody can hear them. You know, but you get them out on the fields, on the stadiums, and you can, hear the, you can hear the cheers a mile away from these people that get excited about watching a sporting event. And yet we'll come to God and we'll, can't smile, can't show any joy, can't get excited. The creator of the universe is here with us. We should be able to get excited about that. He sent his son to die for us so that we could spend eternity with him. And the death that Jesus went through was horrendous. And, and we won't cover it now, you know, but think about what he did, paid for our sins. And he doesn't want to see us be sad and, and disappointed. He paid a great price for us to redeem us. And he wants us to be zealous, be excited, talk to people. How long has it been since you've talked to anybody about Jesus? Hopefully it hasn't been long. The bigger question is, how long has it been since you've talked to a lost person about Jesus? A lost family member, the person who, that you're in line with at, the, at Walmart or, or Smith, especially Walmart. Walmart has long lines every time you go there, so you get plenty of time to give the whole gospel to them. So how long has it been? How long has it been since you've shared the gospel with anybody? Is Jesus important enough to you that you want to see heaven filled? Because I can guarantee we want to see people go to heaven. And I've shared with you, if you want to see anybody go to hell, you don't understand hell. Hell is an awful place that we shouldn't want to see anybody go to because of how awful it is. Just an eternity separated from God is bad enough. The conscience plaguing you with every opportunity that you had to accept Jesus Christ for eternity, eating at you. If you've ever had a time when you've had your conscience bothering you because you've done something wrong, think about having an eternity of your conscience bothering you and never, ever 
being dulled. Eternity like that. Not to mention the physical pain on whatever body, or, or the, the actual pain on whatever body you have. We, we would say physical, but whatever spiritual pain or body that you have being tortured. Hell is not a place we want to see people go. We need to get actively zealous to tell people about Jesus, to get heaven filled. Because that's why we're, we're left on this world, to share the gospel. Share the gospel. I heard on the radio this, this week, and I don't know if you've heard of Pastor Saeed on, in, in Iran, who's been arrested and spent 200, uh, two years there so far, or over two years. But his wife was being interviewed, and they keep moving him from prison to prison because he keeps witnessing to everybody and people are getting <laughs> saved. Now, it's very funny, because, it's funny in one sense because it's just like reading the book of Acts. They got thrown in prison, tell him he can't talk about Jesus. He talks about Jesus and get people saved. So they keep moving him around and they won't release him because he won't stop talking about Jesus. So they're keeping him in prison, hoping that that will keep him quiet. And it's not working. Why? Because he's zealous for God. He is zealous for God. He said, I'm just going to share the gospel. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Most of us here in America won't even tell people about Jesus, and we don't even have the threat of prison and death over us. He's preaching the gospel in prison with the threat of death. I say that just because we want to be able to come to God and say, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness to sh share the gospel with people. The gospel changes lives. When you want to see somebody change, if, if you have somebody who you really don't like, who's mean to you, give them the gospel. <laughs> Maybe they'll get saved. <laughs> then you won't have to have them being mean to you all the time. <laughs> kind of a different way of thinking, isn't it? <laughs> what do we usually think about? We say, as far away from this person as possible, and when I see them, I'm going to get away from them. They need the gospel as much as anybody else. Maybe even more. Maybe even more. So we want to be, we want to be able to share that. We want to be able to go forward with that. Because Paul says, it is good. It is good. He goes, and don't be zealous just when I'm in present. <laughs> you know, Paul's, Paul understood the way people are when, when, the, when the pastor's there, when the preacher's in, in the room. It's amazing when I get into the room and people will think I'm you know, just normal and, and then they'll go, what do you do, I'm a pastor. Oh, all of a sudden they change totally. <laughs> change totally because they have to be on their best behavior for some reason. And Paul understood that with the people. He goes, I don't want you to be zealous for God just when I'm around. I want you to be zealous for God all the time. All the time. And that's my hope for people. I don't want people to pretend to be good just because I'm there. I've seen that over the years. I, even before I was a pastor, I'd see it because I'd talk about Jesus, and they knew that. And they would clean up their language and not say things, not because I got after them about their language, just because they were convicted. But Paul is saying, be that way all the time. <laughs> be that way all the time. Don't pretend when somebody is spiritual around you. And we see it even amongst churches when people meet each other out on the street and they go to the same church and all of a sudden they were talking about one thing and all of a sudden, nope, that person's from the church. I can't talk about whatever it was I was talking about. <coughs> you know? And in one sense it's important, but we need to be that way no matter what. Because we have the most important person with us all the time. God is with us all the time. 
And how we can change and clearing up our language just because somebody from the church showed up when we could do it when God was there? It just shows us we don't believe that God is there, doesn't it? If I'm more worried about that person that I can see and tells me that I really don't believe that God is with me all the time, or I don't care, I don't care. That's even worse if I don't care because God is there. Every time we participate in any sin, Jesus is right there with us because he lives in us. Every sin that's committed, he's right there with us. That should affect the way we live. Doesn't mean we're not going to sin, unfortunately, but it should really keep in the back of my mind. I'm getting ready to do this. Uh, you know, Jesus is here. The, the bracelets that were popular back about a decade ago, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, we need to keep that in mind in one sense. Would he want to be doing what I'm taking him in to do? Hopefully we know the word of God and our, and our mind has been affected by the word of God enough that we don't have to sit there and go, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? <laughs> but if that's what it takes, do it. <laughs> I would recommend get to know the word of God well enough that you, all of a sudden, you have that check in your spirit. You're getting ready to do it. And it's going, no, this is not what God would do. This is not what Jesus would do. I don't want to, we don't want to be stopped just because a brother or sister in Christ is with us or near us or might find out about it. Jesus is there. He's the one hearing it. Paul goes on to say, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He considered them his children. All good teachers and pastors do. Even when I was a teacher before, I, I considered those in my class my children to a degree. My children. And you see the endearment to this. My little children. I love you. It's, you know, he's basically saying, I love you a lot. And he's saying, I'm travailing in birth again. You know, they've gone so far down <laughs> that he was looking at them as having to be starting from scratch. We have to start all over again. You know, you, you've left, you've fallen. If you remember at the very beginning of this, it says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that they left the gospel? That they had left the gospel. How easy it is for us to fall away from the gospel. How easy is it for us to fall into works? We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, but yet we tend to live as if works are what's important and not grace. Grace, God's wonderful grace. The cost of his grace was Jesus' blood, <coughs> Jesus' life. Grace is not cheap for God to give us. He doesn't want us stomping all over it by sinning as much as we can. But his grace is there. He says, here is my free gift to you. Eternal life. That's the first gift we get. And we've said this before and I'll say it again. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. There's a lot of Christians who believe that eternal life is, starts when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life started the second you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and your heart and he gave you a new spiritual heart eternal life started at that moment and will continue eternally and you can't lose it now there are people that say that you can lose your salvation and you can't 
You might question if you can live in sin without having any conviction or guilt or the Holy Spirit talking to you, then you have to say, am I truly saved? If you can sin without any kind of conviction, then we have to wonder, are you saved? Not did you lose your salvation, but were you ever saved? And remember last week we talked about it, that the Spirit bears witness that we are saved. You will know that you are saved. I can't sin without being convicted. Okay? And if I sin, God goes, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And look at the bad example that you've been. And, you know, and I know. I know that I have sinned. There's not a question in my mind that I have sinned. There's not even a question in my mind of going out and trying to live in a sin. Because the Holy Spirit is right there saying, who do you think you are? You're not being a good representative. You're not, do, you're not living right for me. And he convicts. And this is what Paul's saying. He was worried about the Galatians. Did I waver in vain? Were you really saved? Did you really truly, if you can go back to the law and back to your idols, were you truly saved? And he's saying, I'm worried about that. I, that I worked in vain. And he's coming and he's talking to them. He says, come back. Come back. Verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul wanted to go back because he was so concerned about them. He wanted to see them. Are you actually living the way you're supposed to? Are you living according to God? Are you wanting to live according to grace? Or are you wanting to be under the law? We've all probably got friends that we, that, that we went to church with that were Christians, and we look at them you know, now, and all of a sudden it's like they're living like the world. And we're going, are, were you saved? Are you under conviction? Were you truly saved? And we've talked about it. The saying of that sinner's prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. All the right words. All the right words. But if you don't truly believe them, you're not saved. And I know people who have said, well, I said a prayer when I was six years old, 14 years old, whatever it might be. And the question is, did you mean them? Did he come into your heart? Did he give you a new spirit? Are you just so backslidden and, and fallen away that you need to come back? Or were you ever there in the first place? Because the Bible is very clear. Those who live in a sinful lifestyle don't go to heaven. And the Greek in that live continually in that lifestyle. Not just have falling and you know, come back and fall and repent and come back and fall and, and repent. That's a different story altogether. But those who can live in a sinful lifestyle with no conviction, no repentance, have to look at their life and say, am I truly saved? Did I truly mean it when I asked Jesus to come into my heart? Did I truly mean it when I wanted him to be my Lord and Savior? And that's the danger of the, of the prayer. I've shared with you this woman I went out on the street evangelism with, and she had a, this poor teenager backed up against the wall <laughs> trying to give him the gospel, telling him he had to say this prayer. Well, the kid said the prayer. But you know what? I know for a fact that that kid said the prayer just so he could get away from this crazy woman that had him backed up against a wall trying to make him say these words. I turn to her and I go, he's not saved. He, she go, he said the prayer. He, God will hold him accountable. I go, no. And worse yet, 
that kid may later on in his life think that he's saved because he said this prayer without any meaning behind it. She may have sent him to hell with her good intentions because he may think that because I said this prayer, everything was okay. Even though he didn't mean it. We're not out there to twist people's arms to get them to be saved. Our job is a real simple one. Hey, have you heard the good news of Jesus? We're sinners. We deserve hell. But Jesus paid the price for us to go to heaven, and he's got a free gift of heaven and himself for all those who want him. Real simple. It takes about 30 seconds to give the gospel. You're not sitting there twisting their arm. You're not trying to make them become a Christian. But you know what? If you give that 30-second presentation a couple times a week, how many people might you save, bring to Christ? It's amazing. Sometimes you talk to somebody, and they are just ready to say, ask Christ in their heart. Other times you're just speaking to them, and they're not hearing it. But it's been amazing to me how many times I've also had people that are just waiting to be asked. We need to be out there sharing the gospel. We're not accountable for what they do with it. We're just accountable for sharing it. Because the scriptures say very clearly that whosoever will, will come. But it also says that the Spirit calls them. Our job is just to give the gospel. If the Spirit's calling them, they'll come. If the Spirit's not calling them, we've still done what God told us to do. Share the gospel. Go out and share the gospel. Because who knows who that person's going to be that gets saved? Who knows what they might do when they do get saved? It said the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord led one person to the Lord, and that was him. You know, what a person to lead to the Lord. <laughs> if that guy hadn't done his job and Billy Graham hadn't got saved, there'd be millions of people who never heard the gospel message that heard from Billy Graham. You don't know who it is that you're talking to that might be the next great evangelist. And even if they're not the great evangelist, maybe they know five or six people that will get saved. And so those people will be saved because you did your job just talking to them. <laughs> and you know what? You'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for all of their work. We're on the internet in this church and we're being broadcast to all these hundreds of people that listen. Everybody in this church gets credit for it because we're the ones that pay for the bill to get on the internet. Who knows who's, who's hearing this? We're being broadcast into over 60 countries have listened to the sermon page. Who knows who's listening to this? What's being developed from this? What rewards are going to be in heaven when we get there and God says, well, because you did this, these people got saved. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen when you go and talk to one person about the gospel? Maybe they're not going to listen to you that first time. Maybe you'll be the lucky person who gets to be the 10th the person that told them and they're finally ready to, to, to make the decision. You never know. But even if you're just the sixth person out of that long line of people and you share the gospel, you're one more person that's planted the seed. One more person that's watered the seed. And who knows? Everybody gets the reward, not just the one who gets to have them say the prayer. We need to be zealous about God excited about God. Make sure that people know that you're a Christian. And I've asked this many times, do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Do they know it? Yeah. 
and then how do they know? Now, in my house, it's real easy because even if I didn't share it, my son shares it with everybody on the block <laughs> and around the block <laughs> and anywhere else that he goes. <laughs> you know, Sam, Sam, Samuel tells everybody about Jesus in church and invites them to church and whatever else. Uh, you know, prays for them. You know, there's not a person in our street that doesn't know that, you know, that at least that he's a Christian. Uh, my neighbor, direct neighbors all know that we're a Christian, you know, as I talk to them. But he knows everybody in the block as he walks around and does things. But do people that you know know that you're a Christian? Does your family know that you're a Christian? Or around your family, are you quiet? You don't want to share the gospel with your family because they may think you're crazy. And of course, we know we are crazy, but that's okay. We're, we're, we're headed to a new kingdom. Our citizenship is not in this world. So in this, when we are walking around this world living for Christ, people are going to look at us as if we're crazy because we are crazy by their, by their definition because we aren't doing what the world wants us to do. We're living the way God wants us to live because we're looking at a different kingdom, a different world that we're headed to. We should never feel at home here in this world because this is not our home. <coughs> the song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. Our home is not here. Our home is not here. We should not feel comfortable in this world. We should not be able to sit down and watch TV and movies and be around people of the world and feel comfortable. We should always feel uncomfortable because of how much it's against God. That's the spirit in us. But the grace of God allows us to be kind to people that are, are in that way. So we want to be able to look at this and be zealous. Be excited about God. You know, be ready to serve God at all times. Let's go ahead and close in prayer and we'll sing a couple songs. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and follow you. Lord, we ask that you help us to be zealous for you, that nothing will stop us from serving you and, and people will know that we are yours, that they will know that we are different from, from this world. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.